Hey, welcome back to Dr. Dave on Call. We are excited that you are joining us today. We hope you all are staying safe and healthy during this COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, And if you are enjoying our podcast, please feel free to write us a review. If you are downloading it from Apple, Spotify, or Google, go ahead and subscribe to us too as well. And also if you're viewing us on our YouTube channel, Dr. Dave on Call, feel free to leave us a review as well and subscribe too. So Let's get started with our episode today. We have an exciting show today. We are going to be talking with Dr. Fred Luskin. He's the director of the Stanford University Forgiveness Project. And the reason why we wanted to reach out to Dr. Luskin today and discuss with him his research and um, his clinical uh, training and measurement of forgiveness therapy is because it's it's an amazing thing to see the psychological and both medical impacts that forgiveness have on us. And he's been doing research in this for many decades. And as we've had quite a bit of time during this pandemic to um, introspectively search, you know, where we're going and how we're doing, both from a mental aspect, mental health aspect, as well as, um, you know, a physical aspect too as well. Um, in my research, I, I, I was looking at different avenues of our mental health and how we can better it and how it can impact our physical health. And forgiveness kept re- coming up as, as just topics that should be addressed. So um, Dr. Luskin has written many books on forgiveness. More recently, a book called Forgive for Good, A Proven Prescription of Health and Happiness. And I've had a chance to read that book and dive through some of his research. And I think that his perspective on forgiveness is applicable right now during the pandemic and in the future too. But I think uh, we'll all benefit from from talking with him. So let's get started. Can't wait to uh, share our interview with Dr. Fred Luskin. We have the honor today of speaking with Dr. Fred Luskin. He's the director of the Stanford University Forgiveness Project, and his extensive research centers upon the training and measurement of forgiveness therapy. And he is the author of Forgive for Good, a proven prescription of health and happiness. Dr. Luskin, we are so grateful for joining, having you join us today on Dr. Dave on Call. <laughs> Thank you. So, Dr. you know... Dave. We always like to have our guests introduce themselves, and so we were just hoping you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in forgiveness therapy. I mean, I'm a I'm a ex hippie, and um, you know, maybe not quite old enough for the '60s, but late '60s, early '70s was a long-haired granola eating, meditating kind of hippie. And I started a vegetarian restaurant in Santa Cruz, California, um, near the beach after dropping out of graduate school. And so I, I, I lived in like a alternative world, both medical and um, spiritual kind of, but just uh, some some belief in in that idea of like peace, love, and granola, and um, it never left. You know, it, I, I've certainly 
grown up, I can have a job, I, I show up to things, but but that basic, um, like we can do better by each other value system stuff. And so when I was getting a, a PhD at Stanford on in counseling and health psychology, I wanted to do a dissertation that was, um, I'm going to say something oriented to spiritual qualities, but was as much to prove that being a good human being was helpful, not just in an idea sense. And, and, and that's still important to me. I, I just have a belief that like now they're showing the effects of meditation on, on well-being, but, but these qualities that have been promoted for thousands of years, they probably haven't been promoted because they, they don't work. They probably work well, and we just don't understand them enough. So that, that, that would be my basic background for you. You know, your foundational research into forgiveness therapy has had such tremendous influence on both the psychological and medical sciences. And, you know, I want to get to... Um, I want to get to that in a bit, but first, let's just define forgiveness. How would you define it for us? I mean, the, be the best definition is not mine. It was actually written by a mother whose daughter was murdered, and she came to forgiveness. And it's forgiveness is giving up all hope for a better past. And, and there's something profound about that because we spend an unfortunate amount of our precious time here um, arguing with the past and lamenting what did or didn't happen and, and missing our chance to actually appreciate the life we do have. So that's the best definition. The one that we stumbled across, which is not as good, is Forgiveness is making peace with the word no. And so it's always based on not getting what you wanted out of life in some way. And unforgiveness is a, a lack of acceptance and an argument. And forgiveness is a kind of grieving of not getting what you wanted, but coming into acceptance and being ready to move forward. Yeah, you know, you you know, you're right that in, in for us to understand the process of forgiveness, we have to address our grievances. And can you describe exactly so let's talk about what are what are exactly your grievances and and how how it forms and how do we need to address grievances in order for us to forgive? Well, I mean, it, it, at least from our conception a grievance is just an, a life experience that we turn into something that we object to. I mean, it, life experiences are happening all the time. Some of them we freeze in place and argue with. So in order for us to do that, in order to, to freeze it in place and argue with it, one, we need to take it too personally. We need to, out of this swirling, you know, undifferentiated mystery, 
we take something way too personally. We get upset about it or hurt by it. We blame that reaction on the experience, not on our nervous system or our like history of coping. And then we tell a story that cements in that personal offense slash blame. And that story, when it's told a few times, cements itself in our kind of patterning as a grievance story. I mean, it's it's simply a story. It does. There's no objective reality to it. It's a frozen take on on a life experience that we wished were different. You know, you've worked with a wide variety of people um, in your book. You were just so clear and um, and very descriptive of, of people's and patients' ex- life experiences. You've worked from, you know, people who have really experienced quite a bit of trauma. Um, you know, one group I do want to touch on is, you know, the Northern Island Hope Projects that you coordinated. Um, these group of women who experienced such tremendous loss, both from the Catholic side and the Protestant side, just... Talk about talk about firstly the the hope projects in general, and what you learned from from these patients. I learned a couple of things. One of which was a very unfortunate, at least from my sense of hopefulness. But I mean, the first thing I learned was many people with proper care and education can become more forgiving even in the midst of like brutal experiences. So that's one. Two, um, culture is can be a really limiting factor for people's well-being. So we, you know, we brought these people to us a couple of times from Northern Ireland, either having had children murdered or immediate family members murdered or just generically, they had been harmed and were now working as as helpers. But the most chilling part of the experience was when we would return when these these people would return to Northern Ireland. They were often perceived as traitors to their side if they made peace. That <clears throat> the community, so to speak had also decided to own the murder of their family member. So when the community owns a murder, it's part of their grievance against the other side. And so if you came back and said, hey, you know, I just had this insight that I don't need to be so bitter, then that that was threatening to the established order of the contentious groups. And, and that was the both biggest learning, which is these people needed a lot more support if they were going to be able to do that. But a chilling, and this is a long time ago, a chilling understanding about how culture and tribal nature make individual well-being really challenging in, different, in difficult circumstances. And I think one of the amazing findings that you saw from your um, that these hope projects is that 
these patients, the women who lost their their children yeah. or family member, healed through forgiveness, and yeah. their and the benefits of forgiveness, both psychologically and and medically, are tremendous. Yeah. You know, they're tremendous. Let's talk about that because I mean, they're just it's weird. They're tremendous because. And, and it's not a, it's not necessarily having anything to do with me or you. It's that if you live your life pissed off, it's not good for you. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. in your you don't need a medical degree for that, right? Right. And and scientifically too, you've you've uh, you know, you've published this. Whether it's in JAMA, yeah. based on the cardiovascular effects of your increased yeah. risk of heart attack or stroke. Um, you know, your immune system dysfunction too, as well. Um, Absolutely. But it, but it's, it's the, the sad piece for me. I mean, I used to kid around. I, I worked for a number of years. Stanford had a, one of the early complementary and all alternative medicine centers. And so I worked there and I remember kidding like with somebody, okay, the NIH is going to give us a million dollars to recognize you know, that if you get a good night's sleep, you're going to be healthier. I mean, give me a break, right? You, you know, it's like, duh. Forgiveness is a duh. I mean, every, this we all know intuitively that when we're really upset with something, you can feel what it's doing to your body. Absolutely. I I, uh, I have this wonderful, I have this um, pivotal quote from your book. Okay, and I just want to read it to you, and let's talk about it. So you say, we we do not have to tell endless stories of victimization. We can forgive those who have hurt us and move on with their lives. We can forgive our parents if they have hurt us, and our friends and family if they have not been supportive. We can help our friends to forgive and move on if they are stuck. We can create a story that shows us as hero instead of victim. Right, and that's I, I want to touch upon these these grievance stories, and um, you make this wonderful description about how we are writing so many tickets. You give the great example yeah. of the police officer whose car doesn't right. work, and people are speeding by, and he's trying I to write actually, these. I actually was on two eighty here, the road going from San Francisco to San Jose. And I did actually pass a police car on the side of the road while people were speeding by. And I thought to myself, wow, I wonder if they can't do anything because I saw people going by like 85 miles an hour. And that's that actually happened. And I saw my own helplessness. I can have all the rules in the world for people. I just can't enforce them. And I think that's, you know, this concept of, of grieving and letting it rent out too much space in our mind. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that metaphor came because when we brought the people from Northern Ireland before then, we were mostly an academic um teaching place. I mean, bright people, people with college degrees. And we brought these people from Northern Ireland, many of whom had a sixth or eighth grade education. 
So we had to create metaphors to translate what we were trying to do into language that not Stanford educated or, you know, Bay Area sophisticated people would understand. But it, it made our work so much better when you can just walk up to somebody and say, hey, you know, your grievances are like all these planes that are never landing. And after a while, it's going to mess up your, you know, your airport. And that, that actually turns out to work better than most of the sophisticated ways that we tried to explain things. And, and especially when you land that plane, right, and you get out of the door, you made this analogy in your book, and you open that you know, plane door and you walk down the steps, are you thinking about how long you were delayed and up in the air, or are you focused on the family or friends that you're meeting at the gate and then right. that's it? Right. And maybe the sun is shining. Exactly. Yes. But, you know, Dave, we, we, we really tried to aim to make forgiveness approachable. Just, just like something you could just talk about. It didn't, you didn't, it didn't require you to go to church and be told, you know, that there was some moral prohibition or even though I do believe it's an important ethical thing but the goal was to just help people do it yes and and how do we go from you know the victim into being the hero how do we how do we create that transition for us i'm going to say there are four i mean again having taught this for a long four very simple steps that apply to almost any form of mental health One is you have to also pay attention to what's good in your life. Like that, that just simple reminder of, yes, it might be a cloudy day and yes, work might have sucked. And maybe you're going home to people who care for you. There has to be yes. And that that's the baseline of, I'm going to just mental health. Like you can't, you may have a nervous system that predisposes us to find what's wrong, but that's not the end of the discussion. That's just one piece. So that's one. Two, when, when we're uh, physiologically aroused, we need to calm down. Like not just, not just throw the arousal around, but self-regulate. That's another crucial thing. Three, we need to remind ourselves mentally, cognitively, we're not the center of the universe. You know, the world isn't just here to make us happy. Like, get over yourself a little bit. And four, you need to actively find a story that deals with whatever the situation is in a way that's forward thinking, not backward thinking. So those are very simple, and they're they're not unique to forgiveness. They just facilitate forgiveness because they facilitate mental health. They're very simple. You can teach them to kids. I mean, it's. Well, what I I want to focus on point two of yours because I think it's 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 a radically important and crucial process in terms of how physiologically 
when we can't forgive and that we're dealing with grievances um, and that, you know, we've been exposed to trauma, you know, our nervous system, our sympathetic nervous system is upregulated. We have so many more, um, you know, catecholamines, different hormones that just cause our, you know, heart to beat faster, our gut to shrink down. And, you know, it's just quintessential fight or flight. And you talk about great ways, whether it be, you know, the, the PERT, where it's positive emotion refocusing techniques or hard focus or the breath of thanks. These are wonderful, um, you know, strategies to, to help this. Talk about them, if you don't mind. Well, just simple. Let me, let me give you, uh, while you're sitting here, I'll give you a, a later iteration of something just as a practice. If you would, while you're just sitting there, stop for a moment and take one or two deep breaths. No, you don't have to close your eyes even. Just like take one or two deep breaths, but make sure they're deep and slow. And then just ask yourself, like in the last 36 hours, who's been kind to me? And you want to look at like the videotape for any kindness. Anybody make meal for you, um, help you with kids, listen to you complain, help you at work, offer you anything. Just that simple um, practice reshapes our way of perceiving things. And just asking a question like that quiets the nervous system. So that that's just something that is not in the book, but these are the kind of ways that, that I've adapted things. And it's all about a grievance locks our mind into an unpleasant part of our life. We need to unlock that. Dr. Luskin, why do we take things so personally? You talk about unenforceable rules. Why do we take, why do we take things so personally? I mean, some people have suggested it's a design flaw. Uh, you know, I I, it's, I don't know I don't know what first cause is, um, but I know that it's an era of um, consistency, and in, you know, like making believe that this sense of self that we carry around is the same everywhere we go when it's not. And two, an era of like attribution that people, like things are designed specifically to harm us when most of the time nobody gives a shit about us. Mm -hmm. So it's a two-way era that with this solid mass of, you know, unchanging identity and processes and that there's these, you know, things out there conspiring to do us harm. Both of those together make it too personal. Um, they, they are ways of perceiving things that make us much more tense, much less safe 
and, and prone to more hostility. Because we're always protecting this self thing from threats that we perceive as personal. So even in its most benign, it needs to be managed. When it gets triggered by a grievance, it's like giving it carte blanche to go, you know, do its stuff. And unfortunately, when it becomes habitual, we become unable to, to think ourselves past it the way our memory forms. Like if we had a bad you know, experience with a neighbor, then our neighbor image gets influenced by that bad experience. And we release those catecholamines even when somebody else says the word neighbor. You know, you can be listening to a conversation that's nothing to do with you. Somebody else says, my neighbor did this, and your heart speeds up because we have created an association and a story from taking one neighbor from 20 years ago, taking it personally, storing it that way, and it's still there to arouse us. Forgiveness decouples that storage. So, okay, I had a bad experience with a neighbor. That's it. You're right. As we get into positive intention, you know, a hero's story, and we're focusing on this big goal that we can thwart this grievance. That's it. And it's, it's so important to amend this grievance story into a hero story. And I think as you explained so eloquently how, you know, the Northern Ireland patients of yours, um, their goal was just to have a loving family and, and to see that change through your therapy is tremendous. It's unbelievable. You know, even, um, even yes. And even more simply than that, when Desmond Tutu had this, you know, wonderful statement, without forgiveness, there is no future. And what that means is without forgiveness, we're still talking about the past. And so we're not capable of actually being in our present life or planning a future because we're still looking backward, discussing what was wrong with the past. Well, if that goes on for five years, that's a lot of time where information wasn't coming in to alert us to the fact that it's 2020, not 2015. And and what the positive tension story reminds us is it's 2020. What do you want now? If this is... This is looking that way. You want to look this way. You want to look ahead. So find whatever it is in your mind that motivates you to look ahead. And let go of that story that had you stuck looking backwards. Yes. And and you even delve into patients who have experienced, for example, random acts of violence. And of how course. it's how, how one commonality that they have was focusing on a goal of independence and how that 
focus, if it was so acute, helps them to create this positive intention. Right. I mean, the, the, the sad piece is we all do this to one degree or another. It appears that you, you know we have this negativity bias, which is much more attracted to negative events because we need to protect ourselves so much. So that's one, but also our memories are stored based on emotion. So you know we have the like the life is shit category. So when we feel bad now, we remember all the other bad times. <laughs> So we have a stacked deck in here, but the, the, the reason why forgiveness is particularly so important is these negative experiences keep on coming up to either protect us or spur us to solve a problem in a way that worked in the past, but they become habitual and they don't work. So like a catecholamine response or a, a response that cuts, you know, shuts down some of the higher order thinking centers. That may be useful once or twice, but if it hasn't worked in doing it 10 times, it's never going to work. So if we like hate our mother 10 times, it's a strategy to think, okay, if I have this negativity towards her, maybe I'll figure out a good way to deal with her. But if it hasn't worked by time 10, time 100 ain't going to get any better. And, and that's why forgiveness is literally good for body and mind. It, it, it releases that bind that we're in of using these strategies that are not useful over and over again. And, and, and causing, like as you said, immune dysregulation and, um, you know, cardiovascular like spikes and stuff it, it, it it's it's an unfortunate um, patterning that we all have so many times uh, you know when we think of forgiveness we think that it's trying to set in motion a process that's dependent upon you know you and let's say another party but let's talk about forgiving ourselves too um, and how do we get to that process of forgiving ourselves as well? You know, Dave, again, if, if I, and I don't need to ask you specifically, but you said you had children. So if I, if I, if I suggested to you that you just take the next 15 seconds and, and really reflect on how much you love one of those children or how lucky you are to have those children, then your whole body relaxes and your, breathe, your breathing rate slows down. And when that happens, your mind is free to have like positive, hopeful, um, constructive thoughts. Well, one of those thoughts might be of forgiveness for something because what we've done is eliminating the obstacle in you to, to positive thoughts. If, if you were tense before then, you can't have positive thoughts. So when you have a habit 
of always thinking badly about something, you simply can't, you can't do it. You can't have the kind of thinking that's going to free you from it. And so um, when you shift that, so at the moment that you are thinking of someone you love, you're free from your negativity. And, and that means it doesn't matter what the negativity was generated by. Whether it's you don't like, you know, President Trump or you don't like the Yankees or you don't like what happened to you five years ago. Or you don't like what you did. It's all the same. So what, what forgiveness is doing, it's getting to a, a psychophysiologic space in you that's free from you or my negativity. So whether you forgive yourself or whether you forgive somebody else, most of the process is the same. You're clearing out um, the, the, the negative thinking, the negative feeling, and the story that you put there. The, the, the biggest difference with forgiving oneself is um, it's probably not finished unless we make some amends, if we can, or apologize. Like there's, a, there's that extra quality that, that in order to really like clean the slate, if we, did, if we hurt somebody else, I'm really sorry, how could I make it up? If we hurt ourselves to like stop doing what's hurting ourselves or repair the damage that we, we have created, and a, simply an emotional release is not sufficient for full self-forgiveness. So, but otherwise, they're mostly alike. Yes, excellent. We, uh, we are talking with Dr. Fred Luskin. Uh, he is from Stanford University and one of the pivotal uh, founders of Forgiveness Therapy. Dr. Luskin, I, I want to talk about some current events and how forgiveness applies. So let's talk about social injustice. Um, and it would appear that in order to advance the cause of social injustice, forgiveness is likely going to be necessary. How do we, how do you um, address systemic racism through the lens of forgiveness? And how do we advance this process? I was interviewed by Time Magazine a couple weeks ago on um, like self-forgiveness. And, and, and what, what I said was, we don't understand what a deep, difficult, courageous act forgiveness actually is. It's not weak at all. And it involves suffering and owning the fact that this is an imperfect world and we're part of an imperfect world where we're going to suffer. In terms of self-forgiveness, and, and this is involved in, in any kind of not just racial, but um, we're always diminishing people who are different than us. I mean, religious intolerance, um, economic intolerance. I mean, it's, racial is just one piece. But if, if we really want to heal from that, 
then then there needs to be like a template of okay you acknowledge the harm you've done right which is a key piece of any healing so yes i i may have contributed to this suffering and that suffering and i didn't do enough to help this or that i mean that that that's a part of this it's not passive then again you try to see what it is you're willing to do to make it right like and, and 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 take action. This is involved in self-forgiveness for let's say anti-racism training. But a- after that, you're off the hook. Like, you know, we can only do what we can do. We're only responsible for a tiny little piece. But but the key piece is a, a, like the 12-step program of fearless, you know, inventory. What have I done? When that's clear, you're less likely to repeat it when you're honest with yourself. It's really important to make amends where we can. I mean that seriously. But then, you know, we don't want to be shamed for the rest of our existence. It's honest appraisal, like the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions, where we're not hiding. From the other side, I would believe that real justice, this is me, is like when I look at Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of dying. You know, there's bargaining, denial, depression, anger, um, you know, and then there's acceptance. So in terms of like forcing the world to admit that it has mistreated people, yes, and there needs to be also on that menu, and I also release you from my bitterness. That's where it ends. But I don't see enough of that. You know, that yes, you want to bring people's awareness. Yes, you want to help them own their own suffering. Yes, you want to claim, you know, whatever uh, restitution is due. And there has to be an offer to some degree of mercy or forgiveness. That's that's where it ends. Otherwise, it's just endless. That would be the, the most thought out that I can offer around this. Outstanding. Yeah. And I think that forgiveness will play a key role as we advance, um, you know, society's view towards social injustice in general. Of all kinds. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, let me, let me just give you a, 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 this is something that I used to say um, in some of my classes when people would be all angry about what had happened to them. And I would remind them of two things, just to lower the temperature, but also to create a little humility in them was one, you're here telling me how awful it was the way your partner or a husband like cheated on you or didn't pay child support or lied to you. All those are terrible. But as you're talking about it, and it happened to you two years ago, right now in the state of California, there could be, you know, 400,000 people cheating on their partners right now. And you're not upset about that at all. 
So be a little careful with the attribution you give. Yes, you're upset because you see this little piece of planet Earth, but it's bigger than that. And two, if you could quiet yourself down instead of just raging, you'd still be able to see the, the good and have a, a deeper understanding of the human condition, which is full of beauty and suffering. Dr. Luskin, we truly appreciate you talking with us today. Um, one, one last question I want to uh, talk about is, as we're living in the pandemic now, and we have tremendous sickness, we have economic hardships throughout. Um, let's take an example for forgiveness in terms of a person being harmed. So what if this individual sets forth blame, let's say, uh, on a more larger group scale level, whether it's, you know, the government didn't help me enough or, um, you know, the response in terms of the COVID-19 was inadequate, which caused yeah. my suffering. How, how would you advise them in terms of moving on and forgiving? I mean, I also, if, unless I'm completely like wrong about this, that the, the ICU use of ventilators turned out not to be that helpful. And it was probably well-intentioned, but, but seemed to contribute to a lot of people's deaths. So you could just take that as an exemplar, right, mm -hmm. of medical lack of knowledge. And, and, and it's like anything else. It's going to hurt like hell. And you're going to rage against it. And, and that's appropriate also, but there has to be in, in the mind's understanding that's temporary. Because even though the medical management in that particular way may have been inadequate, that's not the whole picture. The, that, you know, doctors learn to do much better, and there are people working to create a virus. Uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a small story in a big story. And that's the challenge to go from truthfully one suffering, which is legitimate, but not staying stuck there. So you don't want to cut people off from their legitimate suffering because that's called grief. They have to go through grief before they get to acceptance. And forgiveness is a a variant of acceptance. It's like, you know, because the way I would say it, and I have said it to people, like using that as an that as a kind of example, you know, people are wrong often. <laughs> like the doctors simply didn't know. But they found out relatively quickly and are uh, making adjustments. That's almost the best we can do. But it doesn't take away your pain, but it's part of how we hold 
being vulnerable humans in a world where we don't know enough. Does that answer Absolutely. that question? Yes. Yeah, Dr. Luskin. Uh, it, it provides such great insight into forgiveness in general and how we as human beings uh, need forgiveness in order for us to both advance as individuals but also as society. I agree with that. We appreciate your time today. You are just a tremendous uh, a clinician and research scientist in the field of forgiveness therapy. So we thank you for being on Dr. Dave on call. And you did a nice interview, my friend. I hope you have a lovely day. Take care. Be safe and healthy. Bye-bye. Take care. We appreciate Dr. Fred Luskin joining us today on Dr. Dave on call. We hope that you are taking the time to decompress, focusing on your mental and physical health. And if you have an opportunity, would really recommend to read Forgive for Good, a proven prescription of health and happiness by Dr. Fred Luskin. It is uh, a privilege to speak with him today. We hope that you are staying safe and healthy. Just recommend that you for enjoying our podcast. Go ahead and download us over at Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, make sure if you are uh, viewing us on YouTube at our channel, Dr. Dave on Call, um, subscribe to us. You can even tweet us a question too as well or, or email us too. Uh, again, we hope you're staying safe and healthy during this COVID-19 pandemic. And we look forward to, to speaking with you all next time. Take care.